0: Hi, I'm Stephanie Ricca, Editorial Director of Hotel News Now, here with STR's Isaac Colazzo and co-stars Jan Freitag for another episode of Tell Me More, a hospitality data podcast. Hi, guys.
1: Hey, Steph. Ho, ho, ho. Hi, Steph.
0: In this episode, we will take a look at the November preliminary data, talk about typical travel trends in December to see how the year is closing up, and then we will do a fun, dare I say fun, look back at 2023 in review. Everybody's doing it, we've got to do it too. But let's start by taking a look at November as a little uh, data tidbit, RevPAR up 2.7%, driven by ADR growth. Jan, unpack November for us a little bit.
2: Yeah, thanks, Steph. So this is preliminary. We're recording this before the actual data drops, but because we have the weekly data, at the uh, beginning of December, we can also j- always just roll up the weekly numbers. So November prelim ref PAR up, you know just under three percent, two point seven percent, driven by room rate up, you know just under four, actually three point eight percent. But that's a you know pretty healthy increase in room rate. What that implies then is that occupancy declined minus minus one point one percent because supply growth is, you know, again, the minimis. What that means is that demand was sort of flat slightly down. Um, nothing really to be too concerned about. But Revpa growth of three percent is you know a good, healthy, sort of normal, steady state performance. And then if you go down the food chain, um you get to uh, upper upscale had another you know kind of okay month, ah uh, up five percent. But of course, the problem child economy type properties, RevP down almost five percent as well.
1: None of our hotels are a problem, Charles. Come on, let's let's be clear. You Every hotel has its value and it's doing well there. It's a little softness in their performance, Jan.
2: Let's be clear. The other thing that was soft and that this is a really interesting sort of nerdy data point. So for luxury chain affiliated hotels, their room rate was down minus zero point nine percent. But for all luxury hotels, that includes the independents, room rates are up five percent. So it's like, wow, how do you get an almost six point swing? Well,
1: can you say Las Vegas?
2: Can you say Las Vegas? Can you say Red Bull and Formula One? Las Vegas ADR was up 28%. And those are high end luxury independent casinos. And that drove the luxury class data. And that actually drove.
0: I, <laughs> womp, I had to. Oh my God.
1: <laughs> I'm on autopilot now. okay. Um, <laughs> it actually drove the entire industry. We really want to talk about it because we we looked we our prelim numbers say that ADR for the industry was up three point eight. If you exclude Las Vegas, it drops to two point five percent ADR growth. And then it also takes down, obviously RevPAR growth because without Las Vegas, RevPAR growth for the country would have been about one point seven percent. So do markets matter? Hell, yeah. Do events matter? Hell yeah. And that was one hell of an event in Vegas, and then produced a lot of revenues. And obviously, we all you've seen some of the pieces that Hotel News now have produced, as well as CoStar talking about the revenue gains from F1 alone. So very, very strong growth on Vegas in November.
0: One of the trends you all have been talking about all year, of course, not really a trend, but a growth pattern, I guess, is the buzzword, normalization. Is this what you would expect from a normal November as the year winds down and the events calendar around it winds down?
1: You know, it's other than F1, which is not a normal event, right? That's uh, It seemed pretty normal. Everything I looked at when we're looking week by week, it felt back to normal. The only thing that doesn't feel that's different is when uh, when we started off this Discussion is economy hotels, right? So that's still their softness is still weighing on the industry. But the other chain scales seem to be really performing as we would expect them to be. And one of the things, uh, Stephanie, I've been thinking about instead of using normalization, let's change the word. It's equilibrium. Everything's getting back to equilibrium. Everything's getting back to its its state of regular performance. So, yeah, I think November really, really seemed to me um, just. What it should be. Uh, the other interesting piece about November, though, was again there was increased leisure travel travel during that uh, uh, the Thanksgiving week, and we saw that in the TSA numbers, you know, record amount of people flying. So I think that still gives us indication that this whole post-COVID environment of experiences, being with family leisure travel overall still remains very very strong and ingrained and I just don't see that going away and that's going to be again a primary driver for the remainder of December and Christmas holiday travel as well as going into the future not even not only 24 but 25 26 and 27 so I think that's important to keep looking at
0: Jan, last month, we talked about the absolute spree that New York City has been on. And the preliminary November data shows ADR up 8.6% for the month in New York City to $333. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. And in addition to that, occupancy up as well 6% to 84% occupancy for the month of November. So that gets you double-digit RevPAR growth once again. Now we are able to parse that ADR data and break it out into the segments as you know for the upper end of the market the luxury and upper upscale tell we have segmentation reports the transient ADR preliminary in November for New York was $460 and the group rate was $430 so Isaac and I talked last time about New York City being in this perfect storm of not a lot of new competition, with short-term rentals being taken off the market, 16,000 rooms being taken off to house the unhoused, and once the pipeline opens those 8,000 rooms, that there's not a whole lot of new projects coming. So I'm not sure
1: what can stop the ADR train in New York. I know. And yes. Again, thinking about the um, hotels going out, as we discussed last time as well. Remember, most of those hotels that have been taken out are your non traditional New York markets like LaGuardia, JFK. I mean, they're, they're small markets. So when you really look at Midtown, you haven't seen very many hotels taken out there. What you're seeing there is real demand. Mm-hmm. And again, it goes back to what you talked about leisure. I was in New York um, last week. I think it was last week. I don't remember what week it was. Uh, and I, you couldn't get near the Rockefeller Christmas tree. You just <laughs> physically could not get near it. And so in the same thing, trying to see the display at uh, Saks Fifth Avenue, it was. It almost felt for me, and we. I've been going to New York for 25 years and I've seen all kinds of crowd, it felt unsafe because it was so <laughs> crowded, not because of security. It was just... Well, you, you hadn't was,
0: felt... Crowds that level, right, right. And and talking to
1: you're you're gonna laugh at this one, but talking to uh, a Lululemon clerk on Fifth Avenue, you know, my favorite store, my favorite sporting goods. (laughs) And so (laughs)
0: this podcast is not brought to you by Lululemon yet,
1: but the best running clothes out there. Um, She said she said the same thing. We're talking to her, and she goes. I've she's been there since 2018. She goes, I've never seen so many people on Fifth Avenue as that Saturday that we were there. So again, again, goes back to this leisure search. And most of those people were leisure, obviously, there for the Christmas season in New York, which is spectacular always. And again, that's what's gonna drive. So I think New York December is gonna be off the charts because it's just it was so crowded when we were there. And the room rates, even for us in the hotel business, were expensive for that. <laughs> so
0: well, speaking of that, I want to go back. Just rewind a second to Jan. You said, I think you gave the the difference between group negotiated was four hundred and thirty, correct, and what was four sixty?
2: Transit four sixty five. Trans-
0: yeah. Okay, that's a pretty small delta. Is that typical?
2: It, well, keep in mind that with the occupancy being in the eighty percent range, that's what we call uh, in some nights that's compression.
0: That's right? compression. Right. So when the uh, meeting planner which we haven't talked about in a while. <laughs> right,
2: but when the meeting planner comes in August and says, "Hey, can I have midweek Tuesday, Wednesday, a couple mm-hmm. of group rooms?" The revenue manager is saying, "Sure, you can," but guess what? They're going to be at transient rates. There's not going to be a whole lot of group discount.
0: Oh, we could do a whole podcast. I feel sure we on- could. Yeah on not only compression, but some of these trends that kind of took a back burner during the pandemic that are starting to, to come back in full force.
1: So- and I guess that's ma- part of the recovery, Steph. I mean, again, we've been talking about this. That is things getting back to equilibrium, normalization, equilibrium. whatever you want to call it. If that's what happens, that's normal.
0: <laughs> I love it. So speaking of normalization, equilibrium, December, Isaac, remind us what typically happens in a December in North American travel trends. You know, we look at the year in quarters and in months. December is usually its own particular thing.
1: Yeah, and it really depends on when Thanksgiving falls, right? So this year, we had 30, if I remember correctly, 35 days between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So you have a few extra days, even uh, uh, like two days more than last year, if I remember correctly. So hopefully, don't quote me on that, but it is a longer period between the two holidays. That's a fact. And so what happens, the first two weeks tend to be right after Thanksgiving, people are doing their last minute meetings. Lots of folks are on the road for budget meetings, as always, getting their budgets ready for the next year. And then you start that whole Christmas travel and shopping in certain markets like New York City, which sees that. But then as you start getting closer, like in the week we're in right now, week out of Christmas, then you start seeing the the slowdown, right? And so now people are getting prepared. So I would expect the weekend before Christmas that you're going to see the weekend really slow down a lot because people are already anticipating they're going to be on the road the following weekend, which, you know, uh, Christmas Eve is on Sunday. So they they will be on the road to be with family. So you're going to start seeing a real dramatic week over week slowdown as we get to the holidays. Typically, the uh, week of Christmas has the lowest occupancy of the year across the nation, and we expect that to happen as well. Then comes New Year's Eve. Another wild card. So within the, within my team, we're debating, will this New Year's Eve be as good as last year's New Year's Eve? There's an interesting shift this year. Last year, New Year's Eve was on Saturday. This year, it's on a Sunday. It's still a three-day weekend because most everyone still has the Monday off, Right. But my team um, and I'm starting to concur with them, my team thinks it's going to be softer just because of the shift, just literally the day shift that that is going to, for whatever reason, will react, people will react and it's going to be a little bit softer. And we looked at history. So when my team told me that, you know, my first point is get the data, let me see the data, prove it to me. I looked at uh, 2006 and 2017 when New Year's Eve fell on a Sunday. I also looked at the month of December for those three, those two years, and sure enough, it didn't ma- It 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 was lower than the previous year. So I think that you're going to see a little bit softness, not a lot, but you're also going to. But what the thing we are pretty certain is rates are not going to be softer. It's going to be the demand side The rates will continue to be very strong, and particularly in New York City, the iconic areas. That have big New Year's celebrations will continue to see very strong rate growth, and so I think that's what how December will shape up. It'll be a decent, good December from my point of view. Steph, the other thing you're going to be interesting is um, you are going to see again ref par growth a little softer than what we saw in November because I already have my we have our projections out. So just a little bit softer, but um, if I can say this it'll beat our forecast that we we had for December. So even though it's gonna be softer than November, I think it's gonna be stronger than the forecast we have out there right now.
0: Now, gentlemen, let's take a look back at 2023 in review, in our last few moments of the episode this month. I want to remind you both and our listeners that early January 2023 is the first time these esteemed guests sat down together over the airwaves, as it were, to talk about expectations. And I will link that video in the show notes. But to put our look back at 2023 into context, I want to draw on some of what you said then earlier this year about how you both expected 2023 to play out. And I don't think you need to be worried that you were completely off base because we're going to find out that, gee, these guys really do know what they're doing. So number one was that specter of a recession looming for sure. And you both acknowledged it. Everybody was acknowledging it at the time. But at the same time, you saw RevPAR still growing. So the hope then earlier this year was that this unprecedented event of a recession with RevPAR growth could potentially happen. You know that unprecedented part being revpar growth through a recession. Obviously, didn't quite happen. Feel pretty We've, good about that? We good. were half that's right. That's a good.
2: <laughs> there was
1: revpar growth. There just wasn't a recession. So hey, we were that's half
0: the best right. half to be right about. Wouldn't you <laughs> say? Yeah, we were
1: we were pretty uh, pretty good. I think I was really pleased. I I also watched it because you know, you go, hey, I guess I shouldn't see what we said. We missed a few things. And fr- after that, uh, after that recording, I became, if I can say a new term, an anti reser I started getting on the, I said, I am, there is going to be no recession. Even though it was a, originally in our forecast, I was the one started beating the drum going, I don't see it happening again. And it obviously it didn't happen. And now people are talking about rolling recession. I'm going, uh-uh. And it became what I really think, that's when I started falling on this idea of equilibrium. Things, mm-hmm. a lot of supply chain issues, a lot of that was everything just getting back to where it should be. And that, and that's why the recession didn't happen. We're talking about soft landing. I think there's so many things out there. That need, that again, what happened to the pandemic was so unique and so shocking and it created so many issues around the world on various levels from labor to supply to you know everything was out of whack. Now you're getting that, everything's kind of getting back to normal. Will there be a recession in the future? Of course there will be. I just don't, I didn't see it then. I don't see it now. Um, that was the forecast side. Going back to our forecast, what we missed, What we, actually we had two things we were dead on. We said in that podcast or that video that international travel was a wild card. We actually said that. Yes, and it was, did. we didn't, we knew that it was gonna be an impact. I don't think we anticipated the the uh, the magnitude of that impact for the summer. We just didn't see that one. And that one we did miss that. We said it was out there, but again, from a forecasting standpoint, we didn't build in enough of that into our forecasts, and so that was a miss. And then also, I think on the conference and group side, I predicted that we'd see super strong uh, conference and group in the first two quarters, and actually, it's been the third quarter. So, but we, but again, in our defense, if we want to say that we thought the recession would really take hold in the third quarter, so we thought that there may be some budget constraints. Well, obviously, it didn't, and um, and we saw you know very very strong group demand in that third quarter. And I think you'll see some of that as well flowing through into the fourth quarter as well. Yeah, I was firmly on the team recession because that's what Oxford Economics said. So
2: (laughs) I'm a good foot soldier. So I tried to sell that on every stage I was on all year. And the recession kept being pushed back. And now it turns out there isn't one. And the forecast for next year, according to tourism economics, is two consecutive quarters of no growth, but not decline. (laughs) So we're still not in the recession territory i think one thing we got really right was we suggested that there would be mixed shift on the upper end that the 100 percent leisure travel demand that drove luxury and upper upscale would be partially substituted with pre-negotiated group rate and corporate negotiated rates which would then lead to i what not should we said it explicitly, but it lead, led to an ADR decline on the luxury side, and that was spot on. That mixed shift absolutely happened. The corporate transient traveler helped us drive some demand numbers,
1: but certainly sort of, quote unquote, hurt in the makeup of the ADR. I think as we think about and looking at indicators and, you know, you're definitely on that camp of there's going to be a recession. And I kept saying there isn't. And it's, you know, for me, it was just observation and looking at lots of other data indicators, including layoffs. I have been watching delinquencies. I've been looking at credit balances and, you know, everything you heard about uh, credit and that, you know, credit card debt is at the highest ever. That's a true fact. But what people forget is that's that's uh, nominal it's not even been adjusted for inflation. So it's basically saying groceries that are at the highest point, You know, bread is the most expensive ever. It's a true fact, but until you do the inflation, you don't know adjustments, you don't know if it truly is more expensive than it was in 2019. And when you do that kind of work, you see no credit card debt is basically the same as it was in 2019. Delinquencies are slightly up, but nothing to be alarmed about. Layoffs, I looked over all the way back to 2006, how layoffs have been trending. They're no different than they were in 2019 or 2018. So for me, when I'm looking out and thinking about the recession, it's the observation piece, not only the data, that that's hard data. But then as I was out last year in every airport I was at and every you know city, you go, there is no sign of a recession unless it's really, really on the margins. Because again, just being in New York City last week, you go, what recession? Mm-hmm. The stores were packed. We were at Bloomingdale's multiple times. We were at Saks. It didn't feel like a recession. It wasn't like people were standing around doing nothing. They were selling.
2: The data point that supported the recession outlook was absolutely consumer sentiment because that continues to not be healthy. And the American consumer doesn't feel good, but it turns out
1: it doesn't matter. What people say (laughs) and do are two different things. I don't feel great, but I'm still gonna spend money. And I'm still gonna go on vacation. Uh, Exactly.
0: That would be, I think if you were to ask me what I was most surprised about this year, it would be that element, and that's been the biggest surprise to me throughout the pande- the post-pandemic recovery period is just how much capacity people seem to have, both mentally and socially, to get out there and travel and spend, but also in their wallets.
1: And again, remember, it's all being balanced uh, demographically. I would like to see some of those the surveys be more income based because for our industry, it's really more important because mm-hmm. it is of someone with a higher income. There's no doubt who travels for leisure, especially those are going outside the country. And so that's the other thing. Always keep in mind when you're looking at all these data points, they're demographically based. But again, our industry is very different in who we target and who stays in hotels. So again, always keep that little sense of doubt. Go look at, you know, look around you. What do you see? You know, if you start, seeing, that's the most important thing. What do you see?
0: The art and, and science.
1: Right, it is the art and science, exactly right. That's why I tell my team that that's what it takes. You cannot just look at the data. My team uh, was very much on the camp that things were going to be really bad in '23, and I was the one, since I do head up forecasting, say, no, no, I don't see it. Let's, we've got to change this a little bit, raise it a little bit more. That's the subjectivity, because otherwise if we would just done done it on the data and just on GDP. It would have probably been not we would have been really off, <laughs> essentially.
0: Can you think of anything that happened this year that you did not expect? I think when we look back at what you laid out as expectations, you're pretty, pretty close to, if not exactly spot on, to exactly what those big issues were. But can you think of anything that happened that you didn't expect? You know, we had some regional bank failures early this year. Of course we had nonstop trajectory of interest rate hikes, um, which, you know, could have been predicted at the time, but anything that whoa, this didn't happen. A lot of people talk about that distressed assets just not materializing. Um, That's sort of been a a trend that's been kicking down the road for the last couple of years. Anything you didn't expect?
2: Yeah, I was going to go there, Steph. Um, Exactly that. This idea of the wall of distress absolutely does not materialize. You know, we are at the Alice Conference, at the NYU Conference. I'm at the HLA Investment Roundtable, the ULI Investment Council. At every one of those meetings, people are looking at each other saying, are you seeing it? Are you seeing it? And everybody was expecting, honestly, a little bit more. Now, you had the headlines of Park giving back the keys to 3,000 rooms in San Francisco, right. but that was clearly the headline grabbing outlier. Everybody else is sort of talk to your banker, figure out the extension, get some more equity in, maybe get some uh, mes debt and refinance, <clears throat> excuse me, and then live to fight another day. In 2025, 2026. Um, the other piece that I clearly didn't expect was the choice Windham conversation. Oh yeah, agreed.
1: <laughs> and we're, I mean, again, and it continues, right? We, I, would firmly thought that was done, but this week we found out it's not done, and it's still moving forward. So yeah, that was uh, that was truly unexpected, especially that those two. I think we expected mergers, but not that.
0: That's. That's what makes it fun when you look at, at uh, predictions and forecasting, which this is your business, both of you. And it's funny because we always talk about in this industry, there's a lot of forecasting that goes on, but not a lot of, hey, let's pin back and look and see what was right and what was wrong. And there are always going to be those unexpected things. And before we close up, I want to let our listeners know along the lines of those unexpected things that we want to spread some holiday cheer. So we're dropping a special bonus episode of this podcast the first week of January and for that we are going to sit down and talk about expectations for 2024. Isaac and Jan are going to don their velvet jackets and pick up their pipes take a comfy seat around the fireplace and pontificate on hotel industry trends that will drive 2024 and hey you know judging from what we talked about in this episode I think they're pretty darn trustworthy so thank you gentlemen as always and I'll say see you next year.
1: See you next year. Happy holidays.
2: Happy holidays. Bye, Steph. Thank you.
1: Want more of the latest news and insights from across the global hotel industry? Head to hotelnewsnow.com for up-to-the-minute breaking news and subscribe to the new Hotel News Now podcast to hear directly from industry leaders. Available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you find podcasts.
0: This episode of Tell Me More, a Hospitality Data Podcast, was recorded on December 14, 2023. The episode was edited and mixed by Rachel Dobb. Find and subscribe to this and all of Hotel News Now's podcasts wherever you like to listen. And remember to find all the industry news you need at hotelnewsnow.com. Thanks for listening.